Welcome back to the seventh of 10 episodes of this series called Retrospective. In this episode, we talk about the choices of family, time, and balance. They may not sound like they all relate to each other, but they really do relate to each other. And so that's what we talk about. In this episode, you'll hear conversations with my fellow graduates in this order. Amanda Marchand, Brett Gottschall, Barbara Bartos, Erez Golan, Allison Goldberg, Lizea Lyons, Mira Hecht, Ricardo Rivera, and Joram Wahlberger. Well, yeah, that's a really big question. Uh, it was an intentional choice to have children. I have two boys. They're now 12 and 17. I knew I wanted children. And I knew from very early, early on that I wanted them. And I, and I think I waited till I was older because I wanted to establish my practice. I was worried that I would just get swept up in that. And then it would be hard to make my way back to art. So uh, I did wait intentionally as well. You know, the question of having children is sort of wrapped up in different things. I moved to New York and got pregnant right away, didn't know anyone here, didn't have a community here. And also just, you know, the cost of living here and that juggle. So it's kind of wrapped up in finances and a new city and, and everything all at once and having children happened. So it would definitely have that it had a big effect on my ability to produce and momentum and even think like when you're not sleeping for years on end, it's really hard to think. <laughs> so, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world because my, they're, my boys are the center of my life, but I've been really a hard worker. Like I have that on my side is that I worked through the years where I was a full-time mother and wanted to be, didn't want to miss that. And I just sort of, juggled a lot of juggling and a lot of feeling that it wasn't really working out because I had been full-time artist and then was, you know, having two boys and then trying to work to make money and work to make art was something that I wasn't very good at until I started doing residencies. Then I, that was a key piece for me where I did a residency, I think, um, my eldest was nine and I went away for a month and that was a really long time. Cause we hadn't, I'd never even left them for like more than a, a night or maybe a weekend with grandparents and not very often even at that. And so I went away for a month and it was the year my mom died. And I think that gave me permission. I just, after 10 years of what felt like intense struggle on different levels, I went away to this residency in Finland. And it, that had a profound effect on me, just that gift of time and space and the ability to think again. And from there, all of the work I've been making since then, that was maybe eight years ago, has come out of that, I would say. And I've done a lot of residencies since then. I was doing about one or two a year after that. I just realized this is a key part. Like I, This will give me momentum and it gives me the focus and it 
separates the children can be with their grandparents and I, they're happy and I'm happy. And then I can take that back into the busy day-to-day life with me. So, yeah. Just because you haven't mentioned anything about your husband. You are married, right? I am married. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Um, yeah. He's fully supportive. He pays a lot of the bills. That was a decision early on for him to, you know, for me to look after the children, which I did. And he would, you know, push forward with career, financial career stuff. So for a long time, that was part of the package too. When the kids were young, I was just with them, you know, morning to night, weekends and days and, you know, the heavy lifting of that. So. I always wanted to have kids. So I, I knew that was going to happen with me. I knew I'd have my, my time for myself for a little while, but I, you know, I, it was, uh, after uh, I got married, it was 10 years before I had my first kid. So I had all that time, which, you know, which is maybe I'm lucky. I knew I wanted to have kids and I knew that I wanted to share my passion for art with them and give them a creative uh, environment to, to grow up in. So that was, that was always a, a good positive, thing in the back of my head. It's like, I knew that, that, that I could, I could give my kids something, something a little special that, you know, all the kids I grew up with in my neighborhood probably never got, you know, that was a great thing. And I'm glad that it's happening. It's happening right now. I'm living it. And I've got uh, two very creative little human beings that I made uh, that are benefiting from it. But having them has definitely changed the way that I make work. And and how much time I have. And uh, like right now, I, I, I have no time <laughs> to do anything. I have to get up at five o'clock in the morning, sometimes before that, to come down and try to try to do something for myself. And lately, it's, uh, it's not artwork, it's, it's uh, playing guitar. So that's, that's what, <laughs> but that's also what's been keeping me sane, uh, especially during this pandemic. But uh, to answer the question again, it's it's been a, a great blessing to be able to, to share my life, my art life with my kids. But it's changed. It's you know, production has has uh, has dwindled, and I have to focus on uh, if I if I am doing it, maybe it's a commission or you know to make a little money to go on vacation or something, you know kind of stuff well i had and it it did change things but it just from the sense the standpoint of of time of like of energy i mean the first two years i was dead i'm also i know those who with three i continue showing i don't know how they work you know i there are those people with three kids and just to be clear, let's go back. Like, so, are you married or are you single? Well, like, no, so- we're not. We're not married, but we're together, and we have this kid. Uh, she's six years old. I decided to have the kid, and I've considered that I will be losing a lot of things. I knew, at least for a period, until she's small, until I, you know, hundred percent on mom, I will have to give up a few things. I really admire, you know, that I have friends who have, in the meantime, had 
two kids and she was painting with them on their back on her back <laughs> i wasn't able obviously she has a studio and on <laughs> still so that helps too that's where the studio comes in you know maybe if you have the, the physical space that's yours and even make a small room again i can't do it because i'm in a big you know like one one bedroom apartment but if you even have a closet they can make yours that when you have a kid becomes gold you just close the door and have some privacy and just remember who you are because i don't know you don't you have kids not yet we're planning on having a child in about a year or so okay so so you don't know yet <laughs> you i'm fairly looking forward to being mr mom like i i, I yeah, want mr mom yeah yeah, yeah. i want to have the kid in the studio with me Exactly. I, I'm looking forward to me working on my thing and she working on her thing. And it's possible. But the first years, it, I'm telling you that now I'm starting to look at the residencies. And I'm actually looking forward to trying to find the very few residencies that allow family to come, you know, because that would be a really cool experience. It, you like you get the whole the kid to learn another culture, to hear another language and experience of a completely new new thing and even maybe working with me i don't know but that's my hope to getting out of this you know <laughs> vacuum of, of work at this moment but it was a conscious decision and i i decided i i want to have this experience of having a kid and i didn't have the energy for another <laughs> i was like Sorry, I put everything in this one and <laughs> that's it. This is my art project for this year, last few years. I think a lot of it has to do with how we were brought up in Israel. And I think the sense of family in Israel is very different than the sense of family in other places. Not better or worse, just different. In Israel, because it's a small country, you can only live four hours away from your parents at the most. Typically, you end up living 20 minutes away from your parents. So everyone is really, really close. Um, you know, to this day, uh, we meet every weekend, maybe twice or three times throughout the week. It doesn't have to be a long visit. It may be, you know, maybe 20 minutes here, half an hour there. Uh, but we're all very close. And, and a family means a house, and it means being together. And I think that by itself, when we had our first child, that by itself pretty much navigated us toward purchasing a house. So we actually had our own house. We bought our own house in San Francisco as soon as uh, Mika, our firstborn, was, was born. You, wait, you could afford a house in San Francisco in 2002? Two, was it 2003, actually, we bought a house. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. So we bought a house in 2003 and then we ended up selling it three years later in 2006, which ended up being one of the best <laughs> investments ever. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I actually, I think I still remember the numbers. We bought it for like maybe $530,000 and sold it three years later for 860 or something like that. Nice. So we could have sat, done nothing, and, you know, boom. <laughs> yeah, I know. People always say, invest in property. <laughs> but I, I didn't yeah. do that. 
it was just luck, pure luck. Honestly, we know nothing about real estate, pure luck. Uh, but okay, we great. but we bought the house when we felt that we needed a house because we were we have our first child, and like I said, the sense of family that we grew up with is you have a family, you need a house, you need walls, they need to be you know you need your own walls, you have to make sure everyone is secured within these four walls and et cetera, et cetera. So, so we did that. And as soon as you buy a house, then you need to focus on work because you've got a mortgage to pay. So the focus has to be on work. And Sharon was still a student. She was still her in her uh, uh, doctorate degree in clinical, in clinical psychology. So I was working at the San Francisco Art Institute. We were getting a little help from our parents. And, and, you know, you, you're kind of sucked into this race where, you know, you have to bring in, you know, money. And then when you do that, it's not easy to say, you know what, I'm going to tell my boss I'm not coming in the next couple of months because I want to work on my new show. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> I understand. Yes. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. But at the same time, I was really kind of feeling the entire art world and being in touch with the art world because I was going, you know, I mean, I was running the programs. So I had faculty. We, uh, I was working with terrific faculty and staff members at that point, all the departments at SFAI, all the area managers and faculty. We were designing new programs, which was amazing. Curating shows. We did the Microsoft show at the Microsoft offices downtown and um and we did other shows and participated. I mean I was pretty much, you know, doing open days at the San Francisco Art Institute, running around, uh recruiting for the Art Institute, you know, uh it was both in Europe and in the US. We were going all over the place to recruit students. And you really feel like you're part of the art world. You're just not an active artist maybe, but you're you're still within the art world, which was really fulfilling, I have to say. So I felt lucky in that respect that I, and I was still part of the art world, but I was also being able to provide and, 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 you know, get my family going. That was great. I decided that with my children, I would always kind of draw with them. And that has been a bonding thing that we've always done together and a skill that I've helped them develop on their own. And so that's sort of the way like it has, you know, manifested for me as a mother and teacher. I feel like they have that skill. They can draw. They know what it means to look at something and look at it deeply. They come with us to look at art and they know how to think about it and ask questions and consume it and be critical of it. The pre-existing studio practice, when I sort of came into the realm of committing to being an artist, so like that wasn't there. I, I still don't know if I developed it, but I mean, my daughter was such a focus of my work. So I'm grateful to have had that because she was definitely an inspiration and she grew up with it. And it's a nice part of our relationship now even. But I also, I mean, my identity was always mother before artist. Like it took me a long time to 
even say, like people say, well, what do you do? It's like, I'm a mom. Like, and then I would say, and I'm a photographer. And I show with a gallery in San Francisco and eventually, and I show with a gallery in Chelsea. Like, okay. Like I didn't totally legitimize it. And just because I, I put her first and I don't, I don't regret that at all. And I, I remember, you know, I know other artists that leave their kids and go do residencies, but they had the husband at home or father or partner or grandparents. And I didn't want to leave. I couldn't imagine leaving my daughter for a month to go somewhere far away. I just wasn't going to do it. Well, these days, residencies are actually including the ability for, to bring children and families to them. Because they've they now know they now know you know twenty years too late that this is an issue for a lot of artists. Yeah, I mean that would have been cool if looking back, if I could have taken my daughter out of New York City for a month and we could have been you know, in nature, like that would have been awesome. But that wasn't available then. So, I mean, we spent a lot of time coming back to Florida, and I would photograph here, which that was the interesting part about photographing in the house where I grew up. And so that was available. In terms of showing work, I mean, that, you know, I had the gallery connection, they were supportive. And so it didn't impact me negatively there. Again, I didn't need like years and years to complete a project. Like I could get the work done. Just give you a deadline. (laughs) Exactly. I'm still that way. I'm like, please put me calendar even if it's two years out like I need this so as far as I again I didn't have the opportunity to go work in anyone else's studio or do photo assisting or anything like that I just didn't have the time so you know Ethan wasn't a baby he he was in college when I went to art school when I when I got my MFA so I went to school late I got my MFA late in life and he was already grown up. He was, you know, off to, you know, doing his own thing. So I really am very grateful for that in a way. Part of me thinks it's too bad I didn't get my MFA when I was 25. You know, I would have had another 20 years to develop the work. But on the other hand, I can see how hard it would be for a woman to have a career and really work like I do almost every day in my studio and know you have a baby to take care of, plus probably a husband and a home. And, and I mean, it's, it would be daunting. I can really see how, how women have an issue with it. And so I, I do have these kind of both feelings. It would have been nice had I been on the track, you know, at the age of 20 and then, I'm so glad that I had all the time to give to Ethan when he was a little boy. You know, I was doing classes, but it wasn't like I am now. I'm so committed to my work and have been since I was at SFAI. And so for me, I think it worked out perfectly well. I thought you were married for some reason, by the way. I am not. I've never been married. Seriously, I swear you were married i was with my uh, yeah i was with my partner and we were practically married okay then maybe that's what i just sort of perceived we you're gonna make me cry 
we recently broke up. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. After 20 years, we grew together. Uh, I met her when I was an undergrad at SFAI. It was the most wonderful experience. We just drifted apart. And it's a mutual agreement to stop seeing each other. Uh, but I am seeing somebody else now. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. It's the most wonderful experience I've ever had, and I love her very much. I forgot the question because now you got me thinking about carrying my girlfriend. <laughs> Sorry, that was not the intention of it. The, the intention was actually the question was about children because um, some, you know, the tradition of artists having children and not having children and all this kind of stuff. Nina and I decided we didn't want to have children. We were never stable economically when we were together until the end. And for that reason, I didn't want to bring a creature into this world and not be able to give them all the love and support that I wanted. I kind of regret it now. But anyways, that's that's a personal uh, dilemma for me. I, I went through the same thing. I, I, like, I got married at 45 years old. No, how old am I now? Yeah, 40, 44 years old I got married. And... People continue to ask me, like, why haven't you had any kids? And I'm, all, and I'm always like, I don't have the financial wherewithal to be able to, you know, comfortably bring a child in and say, like, I can be a good parent. I can be stable and give them all the things that they deserve. And I, so I didn't have any children. But now between my wife and I, we have a certain amount of stability that we're actually planning on finally having a kid. So that I'm looking forward to it. I do regret not having one younger, but... I think this works out pretty well, actually. I'm looking forward to it. Right on. Yeah, hopefully, let's see, in about a year, year and a half, we're going to try and have a kid. So, Well, yeah. I'm looking forward to traveling with my partner. I'm going to come visit you in Prague. <laughs> How did having a family and children sort of um, change things for you? How about flipping everything upside down? <laughs> I mean, it's such a different experience. Uh, first of all, I had to make tough decisions. Like, I couldn't do art. I mean, I couldn't be a 100% artist like I was before for a while. I was for two years maybe just doing making art and relying on it for income. I couldn't that, do that anymore. I still today I remember the conversation with my wife in the car. We were kind of approaching the Bay Bridge and we're yelling at each other. And I realized that it's not going to work. I can't keep doing it. She was right. I was losing money like crazy. Not losing on what I'm doing, but losing the overhead was like three times more than what I was making because you know you have three school, three kids in schools. Two of them were in private schools because we just moved moved from Israel, they didn't speak the language, uh, they spoke Hebrew, and we couldn't put them in a public school, like completely get lost, so we put them in, with financial aid, in the private school, that there was a teacher who spoke Hebrew. My wife came here with, didn't know anyone, she had to find a job and eventually had to change her career. I had no job when I moved here. We had, we came here with no apartment, no job, nothing. I thought, I, mean, I just know the city, though that this will come to me you know we were so lucky to find a place to stay with some friend the first week second week and then found a temporary place to live and start looking for jobs then i got this big commission of art 
and I thought, okay, I'm going to make it. But you know, all those difficulties and all those expenses, that was uh, something I did not expect. I did not know about because I was single here for many years. I was single for 40 years. <laughs> Suddenly I have a family. So that life, how do you call it? Rea the reality of having a family and having to support and financially and also time. It's not like I want to go to the studio right now. Okay, I'm going. No. There's a whole bunch of stuff you have to take care of before. And then you end up going, even when it was, everything was established, you know, that we had an agreement of how we're going to do it and how I'm going to do it. I have two nights during the week. I, you know, I was already working full-time job and good income, but I, so the agreement most of the time was you have two nights to go to the studio and the Saturday. Still, uh, there is negotiation, negotiation around that, you know. It's not like life doesn't work according to your art studio schedule, you know. Suddenly there's things that happen to the kids or your wife or you have to go on a trip or you have to go for work trip. And so it's all negotiating and, and finding time. It helps a lot that, you know, you have support. You know, it's not like uh, always tension and I have support. At the same time, you know, my partner, my wife, Orit, is very realistic and very, you know, family first and kids first. And many times she would put me in place. You know, I would be like, if it was only me, I probably would be a little bit more disappearing into my studio and don't care. Yeah. But there's a, a lot of tension around it. But at the same time, I wouldn't do it differently. I don't see, you know, it's my, it's my character. I don't see myself like sitting in my studio 100% every day, locking the door and not seeing everyone and not caring of having a family and just me and my art and that's all the satisfaction I'm going to get from life. I need my family. I need people. I, I enjoy it. I, I get a lot out of it. So you got to sacrifice, you know, and um, I feel like I did sacrifice. Even now, you know, I we like I told you, I moved my studio to the Sierras to this town called Murphy's, and the agreement was that every weekend we're going to go there because that's the only time. Now I cannot do it in the evenings. Still, you know, when we don't go, I'm like, but we you remember we said, and and I'm waiting for next year when my daughter goes to college and. I'll be a little more free and I can maybe stay there. Now that actually we work remotely, I can stay there uh, for a week maybe. But the fact that I'm talking to you today, it's Friday, I cannot wait. We're going to drive tonight and I cannot wait to be there already. And I feel like I'm sacrificing, but I'm getting back in return. So I wouldn't do it any differently. And that's another thing about our career that we've chosen to do is like we have to wear many more hats than most other people in their careers. You know, like I, I know I harp on my wife a lot as an accountant, but like she's an accountant. So all she has to know how to do is accounting. That's it. She goes to work. She does accounting. She's done with work. 
there. <laughs> she doesn't need to know anymore. Doesn't need to know anything. Like we have to know how to come up with creative ideas, you know, manifest those ideas in whatever way, and then figure out how to connect those those products or those outcomes to people, and then how to write grants, and then and then so we have to be good writers, and then we also have to like be able to schmooze at parties, so reasonable amount of extroverts to be able to make social networking. Like I mean, and then of course today we have to do social media and build websites, and like it's just like. We we have to be reasonably skilled at so many different things that most people in the world do not have to do. Yeah, you have to be a hat wearer for sure. But I don't think you need to be good at it all. You don't. You have to be good at the key parts, which is one, making good work. That's number one. And two, if you have a second skill like writing or schmoozing or websites, that's great. And then you can invite other people to collaborate with you to move the work beyond just you. You know, I think knowing what you're good at is really a good skill and knowing what you're not good at so that you invite help where, where it's needed. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that any artist is good at all of it, all of it. You know, there's usually like they're, they may be great at the socializing, but they're dyslexic and they can't write to save their lives. So then you just get somebody on board there. That's completely fine. Actually, the first person who approached me was in, when I was in school was Catherine Clark. So I started working with her. And then uh, actually through her, through one of the, her shows, Mark approached us, and so I had them both. And then something happened, and I decided that I should just stay with Mark. So, and I've been with him since then. And he's really great. He's just phenomenal. If you don't mind me asking, is it what too happened? personal? Yeah, because like that. It was yeah. painful for her, I think, and for me too. So I don't think it's it's the place to open it. It's, I think it was either personality, uh, maybe I was also, you know, maybe today I would have done it differently. But I think that my work requires a lot of support and also financial support. Those soldiers that you mentioned, uh, they cost thousands of dollars to make. And I, actually, that's why I don't even have one. I cannot afford my own work <laughs> if you want. And I cannot make until I get a commission because I don't have the money to put down to make them. And I needed that support right in the beginning out of school. So on one hand, I understand her. I mean, she didn't have that maybe or she didn't want to invest that much money or couldn't. But then I was stuck. I couldn't do work. And that, I think, was a little friction there because I needed that in order to do work. And she couldn't give it to me. On the other hand, there was a lot of demands on her side. And then there is the personality, I think. There was, it was hard for both of us. So on the other hand, then Mark came along and was completely the opposite the chemistry you know he was he had maybe more deeper pockets i don't know he was more connected maybe with bigger collectors at the time so i had to make a choice because i start feeling like it's it's going to clash that relationship the the threesome here is not healthy 
Well, it's tough. Like that, that chicken or the egg thing of like having enough money to produce the quality work versus needing to make the quality work in order to have the income. Like that's exactly. a difficult balance that we all do. Like I even do it. Like when I'm, when I go to the art store, so I'm always like, do I buy the archival material or do I buy the cheaper stuff just to get it done? <laughs> like, Cause like archival is twice the price, but I can do twice as much work with the cheaper stuff. So it's like, it's a difficult balance. It's a, it's an eternal balance for the, that artists have to sort of figure out and we never get it right. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, you know, with my, I think in my case, maybe with others too, it's not about the quality. It's like, I couldn't even do it. I couldn't do anything. You know, I, it's not like I, actually I did start doing, if you want to call them lower quality, the first toy soldier that I made was actually, I couldn't get, you know, the way I wanted to do is uh, I wanted to cast it because this way it's just stronger and it looks better. I just didn't have the money, so I stopped in the middle. And the first soldier was made from foam, and I had to fake the flashing to make it look like a cast. And I did a pretty good job because people thought it until they touched it or lifted it, it was very light or broke it because it was very fragile. <laughs> Uh, people from just from far away thought it is a cast. And so I did compromise. But even to do that, we're talking about thousands of dollars of investment that I didn't have. You know, I was just coming out of school. So, but, and then to later, you know, as the, we could have raised, the gallery could have raised the, the price of my pieces. And he also, also people were interested in putting up money in front, like some museums or some collectors. Then I was able to actually do what I wanted. But like I said, it's not like um, I started pretty like I went, instead of slow, sounding slow and build, I just went to the most expensive fabrication process right in the beginning because that was my concept. And, you know, it just doesn't work for everyone. And I, I have no bitterness, I, you know, against Catherine. I think she's an amazing gallerist and I love the work that she's showing and but it didn't work back then. Yeah, they say that like the relationships between an artist and a gallerist is kind of like dating. Like you really have to get along in some very good, effective way. And, the, you know, because like people are always asking me like, oh, how do I get a gallery? And I'm like, you become friends with a gallerist. That's how you get a gallery. It's nothing to do with your portfolio or your CV or anything like that. Because if they don't like you, they don't want to work with you. No, it's like a family. Of course, absolutely, I agree. It's it's like a family. It's like an extended family. You know, you don't want to. Uh, I mean, I call Mark when I need a lawyer, when I need an accountant, when I need. Uh, you know, I we talk about other stuff. I mean, definitely, it's very intimate. It's very. Um, if the personality don't match, it's going to be very. It's not a. Um, how would I say? It's not like. You have an accountant and you do your taxes with them once a year. It's, you know, or, or you go to the doctor and see them once a year for a physical check or something like that. It's, it can be very intimate and sometimes there's a lot of friction. I think actually the main thing is how do you solve those moments when it doesn't work? Like a date, you know, like a girlfriend, like a, a spouse or a partner. If you don't have a, a mechanism or you do, don't develop a relationship when you can get over those bumps, they just accumulate and accumulate and then it doesn't work. And I think 
with Mark, for example, we, after 15 years, we know each other and we know also to avoid those bumps. But if we go into them, we know how to get out of it, you know? We know how to get back to normal, everyday, normal relationships. So, yeah. But also honesty, honesty is very important, I think. If you advise younger artists, it's rare to find, you know, this world is corrupted, as you know. The art commercial world is corrupted. And there's many players that <laughs> I would not trust them. But if you feel that your gallery is screwing you, just leave because that's not good. And I think I'm lucky in the sense that I feel like not only being supportive, but also a lot of moments where, let's say, Mark could have cut the corners or screw me or he didn't do that and you build a trust over here and also don't do it to the galleries yeah i mean don't go and sell art from your studio if they don't like that you do that and don't hide stuff from them i'm trying to be as transparent as i can that i expect from him i mean it's like you said it's like any relationship it's nothing different you know i'd have to divide it between my making work the professional side of making work and then making money. Although making money also comes through gallery sales and sometimes book sales, though book sales sort of evens out to breaking even, or maybe a little bit more. You don't really make money from books. That's okay. So that would be how I divide it. I'd say it also goes in spurts. Like I might work for a whole summer on making I'm not doing anything on the art professional practice side. And then I might go for six months trying to, you know, position a book in the world and get it out in the world and reach out and apply for grants, apply for residencies. Like that can go on for a long time. And then I might do a residency where for one month I'm blissfully just indulging and making and like going deeper than I ever could because I'm don't not answering emails and I'm not, you know, making lunches for children. To wrap this up, I'd like to thank you for listening all the way to the end of the conversation. We would appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, studio mates, or anybody with an interest in arts and creative endeavors. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community is at the core of our mission for this podcast. They can listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014. The audio was edited by Cush Audio Services, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool Art Podcast is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic and Kunstcentrene i Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website wisefoolpod.com.